Welcome back to the Andy Staples Show and Friends podcast feed, the flagship college football podcast at The Athletic. Thank you for joining us. My name is Max Olson. I'm a national college football writer for The Athletic. I'm joined by my good friend, Sam Conn Jr., senior college football writer, also known as the tech expert. Uh, we've got a great show today. Texas Tech head coach Joe McGuire joining us to discuss the Red Raiders' week four win over Texas. Don't know if you saw that one, Sam. Pretty big deal. And uh, also touched on the, the, the state of the Big 12 and their upcoming game with uh, Kansas State. Sam, how are we doing today? I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, hanging in. We're, we're four weeks into the season, or a month, a month of football is in the books. I kind of am a little bit taken aback by that, that we're already, we're about to, this weekend we'll be having games on October 1st. So the first month has flown by. I know. We already bought the Halloween costume. We got that figured out. How are you, how you guys what, doing on what, that? What's... I think I was told we were. I I could go back and check. I think we're going Toy Story this year. The kids are super <laughs> into Toy Story, so yeah. yeah. I got to figure out: Am I going to be like Potato Head, or am I going to be? I know the Adrian's going to be Buzz Lightyear. I assume mm-hmm. Christopher's going to be Woody. We'll have to figure that part out. Okay. But yeah, uh, I got to figure out who I'm going to be. Maybe I'll be Rex. <laughs> so so Theo's doing Buzz Lightyear. Toy Story is his favorite uh, favorite movie. Uh, he comes home every day. And and says buzz buzz buzz. He demands to watch. <laughs> so I I got up early this morning with him, and we watched uh, Toy Story four in its entirety this morning because uh, he got up a little early. And uh, I'm 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 ready to power rank the Toy Story movies. I've I've seen them all a million times at this point. I don't know about you guys. We have we we've been on that on that kick for the last few months now. And Adrian will get upset if we put on Disney Plus and we don't put on Toy Story. He'll he'll scream and let us know that he wants Toy Story. So <laughs> the best, I think I'm a sucker for the original, mm. but the the one that hit me I think really really hard was three was Toy Story three because the ending of Toy Story three is just like it's I mean literally life and death ending. To yes, and yeah. Then, so and then after that you get the handoff and right right and so. That's that's very emotional at the end. So I really I really was a big fan of three, but I, I think I like the original number. I think I'll put the original as number one. I'll put three as number two. Between four and two, I like the forky storyline mm-hmm. in, in four. I think I'll go four as number three, and then I'll put two as wow. as my last one. Wow, we do not agree on this at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've watched them a ton. For me, it's between two and three for the best one, and that's not to diminish the achievement of Toy Story one, which is unbelievable in terms of animation. Um, I think that I like the story of three a little bit more. I'm I'm more about the plot with this, um, so I think three is number one for me. Um, and I'm with you. It's the emotional ending that that is a big part of it, but it's also just a really, really well done story that involves all the characters, and that's important to, to to how I rank this. I would say number two is the second best, and I think when you have Kelsey Grammer and Wayne Knight voicing the villains of a movie, you you did it. You <laughs> nailed it. I mean, that movie's phenomenal. Very rewatchable. Um, I would put one, Toy Story one number three. Um, and I would put. I just don't love the Rex or the the not Rex the 
the, the kid next door. Don't love that stuff quite as much. Mm. Um, and then Toy Story 4 I'd put last. And that's because there's not enough buzz in it. And that's what's most important to my kid. Buzz is, is just yeah. kind of a bystander to the whole movie. It's all about Woody. Uh, not that it's not a good movie. I just, again, I just watched it this morning. Um, I'm fresh <laughs> off it, but, um, I would put that one last, even though it's, uh, it's definitely not bad. You're not a Sid fan. I don't think anybody's a Sid fan. <laughs> Sid. Thank you. Sid. That's what I was trying to think of. No. Yeah. No. I um, did like Ned Beatty, Ned Beatty voicing Lotso. That was pretty good. Yes. That was a good character. Lotso's, I mean, Lotso's a, a ter- terrific villain. I mean that's yes, it's well done. But all the the Woody's Roundup stuff in uh, in the second movie, I, I really love, and then the Zerg stuff with but with the extra buzz, uh, really strong. Um, that was good. And then you got you got Spanish buzz in in uh, Toy Story three. I mean it's you can see, see like why Spanish the kids buzz. fall in love. You know. <laughs> all right, there you go, folks. There's our weekly Toy Story podcast. <laughs> got that done. Do you want to talk about college football? Let's talk about college football. College football, the, the Big 12 is looking really good, Max. It's a, it's a deep conference. It used to be there were some gimmies, and it used to be they didn't play defense, and all of those things have changed. They're, they're now a lot of teams are playing defense, most of them, and there's not a single gimme game in the conference. No, I don't. What is up like, with the Big 12? It's, it's wild. Like I feel like we talked about this last week on the podcast, and it was, really, it was funny on Saturday night um, being on Twitter – and kind of seeing, I, I tweeted it. I, I after watching, um, you know, West Virginia, KU, uh, Texas Tech, and who am I missing? Obviously, K State. A- after watching them win, it's sort of like who's the bad team in the Big Twelve. But it was funny watching everybody else kind of figure that out too over the course of the day on Saturday. Of like, oh wow, Big Twelve's pretty pretty good, and that's. I think a big part of it is that, um, you know, when you go look at the preseason poll that the, the media filled out uh, before media days, the, the teams that won over the weekend, number one, number five, number seven, number eight, number nine, and number 10 all got wins on Saturday. And so I think, I, honestly, like who is, like who's going to finish 10th in this conference, Sam? Do you, like, is it, is it Kansas? I mean, is it, I don't think it's, like, I don't, I don't, I don't really Kansas. think Iowa State and West Virginia are bad. No, but I think if you made me pick today, it's probably West Virginia, but then they just came off the win over Virginia Tech. So, right. They might it's, go down it's to hard Austin to, it's hard to say. and beat Texas for all we know, right? Like, that, yeah, that's, that's coming up. So, I don't know. That that's a great question. Is and I don't. We spent so much time in the off season picking who's going to be the best team. We don't really have any idea who the worst team is. And <laughs> there's not really a weak link. And there's even. I mean, I think and you've seen the starts from uh, Texas Tech and TCU, and we'll get into those two teams for sure. But I mean, to you, you think okay, year one maybe there's a little bit more rebuilding in those. But no, they're they're rolling. No, it, it really really are. And and this is I think going to be one of those key weekends where we see. Uh, some of some of that come a little bit clearer in the picture yeah. with Oklahoma going to TCU, Oklahoma State going to Baylor. These are going to be a couple key games that are going to, I think, tell us a little bit more about about these teams. It, a week ago, you and I were talking about Oklahoma being a playoff team, and now after the right. loss to K State, it's clear there, there's some issues that need to be rectified there, and and they've got to go on a tough road game into Fort Worth. So that hey, so that hey, changes the, way, the picture is, about is Oklahoma. USC a playoff team now. Like, I know that they had a tough one against Oregon State, uh, but like, uh, man, they they're fine. They're 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 looking pretty good in year one too. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the Oklahoma fans were watching that one very closely. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how many of them tuned in to watch Lincoln Riley after watching Brent Venables lose his first game. That's probably not not what you need <laughs> to finish the night. Cer- certainly, certainly when the game when the game was hanging in the balance late, yeah. I'm sure there was people who tuned in to see if if they finished it off. I, I on the other hand, was tuning in once you alerted me that. Uh, the Jacquez Rogers uh, showed up on the shirt and the T-shirt on the sideline, which I still need to get the T-shirt. I mean, that's one of your day ones. That is one of my day ones. Houston uh, Chronicle. That's right. Uh, I was I was actually when he covered him in high school, and then when he was a freshman, and they upset USC on a Thursday night. I was actually sitting in the office. It was uh, getting ready for the high school football Friday. It was on a Thursday, and I was sitting there and. I'll never forget. I think it was Aaron Andrews was the sideline reporter. And I remember she asked Pete Carroll, "How come you can't tackle Jacquez Rogers?" And so, so uh, that, that's I'm sure it's a memory that lives uh, deeply in Oregon State lore, uh, certainly in mind for a guy who covered Quiz. But I need one of those shirts, man. I gotta get. I gotta figure out how to get one of those T-shirts. So, but but yeah, that, USC is good, but. How good is Oklahoma? How good is Oklahoma State? Oklahoma State hasn't really played a ton of teams yet. T- no. Teams that that are really going to wow us. Baylor had the loss at BYU. You know, TCU. They played a. They really haven't played much. They played SMU. I thought played them really, really well. It's, you it's see really people hard. Still them. have that skepticism with Kansas too. Just who have they beat? Right, right. Can, honestly, Kansas resume isn't that bad. By the way, please rank Kansas. We're, Come on, you I know cowards. everybody. Else. What are you doing? And we're, we're going to jump on that bandwagon. We've 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 been on it as well, but they beat Houston. We we don't have AP votes, by the way. The people no, full we don't. disclosure. But if we did, Kansas would be in and, the top and, twenty-five. And I'm going to be that guy who's going to implore people to vote for him while not wanting to vote. Like I don't want an AP top twenty-five no. vote. I've never had one, nor do I want that duty on a Sunday or Saturday <laughs> night. That that seems like I, I had an AP top twenty-five vote in basketball one time, and after that one year, I was like, nope, don't want it again. Ever. Did people That's, did people like flame you for your your uh, voting much? Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. That this uh, who is the guy that does the Gary Parish is that does the mm-hmm. poll attacks? I got hit on poll attacks one time. Ooh. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want that smoke anymore. <laughs> like that's that's a hard job, especially if you're on a beat, which a lot of people who vote on it are. So you're covering your team. It's hard to see everything else that's going on in that given day. But you still, know, we, rank Kansas Sam, as, as journalists, people. we demand trans. We we really seek transparency. But as a voter, I would not want transparency for who I'm voting <laughs> I for. No, and that's I don't the thing with the AP. That you know. the, the all the votes are out there, but Kansas resume is not bad, and then. K State is another one. It's they lost to Tulane, who I think Tulane's good. Then Tulane turned around and lost last week, and then K State turns around and beats Oklahoma. So it's really hard to suss out. You know, Texas looked the way it did against Alabama, and then they went on the road and lost Texas Tech. So it's really hard to, to, to decipher who the dominant team or who the best team in this conference is going to be. And like we said at the start, who the worst team in the conference is going to be. Yeah. It's funny. I, I got a lot of messages from people on Saturday, Sunday, like what's wrong with Texas. And, you know, I think that you, you're seeing like a team that obviously when, when, when they put it all together, when they get up for a game, like they can play with anybody, obviously we've, we've seen that this season, but also they are still at this, this point under Sark uh, and, and with the talent they've got, um, and just the culture and all that, like they're still capable of losing anybody. But at the same time, you can kind of say that about anyone in the Big Twelve right now. You know, you you, you can. I'm, doesn't mean Oklahoma's got some fatal flaws because they lost to K State. That's just gonna how that's how it's gonna be this year in this league. On Texas, I'm curious, and I, I wrote this on Saturday night. Uh, I don't think it's reason to panic. The loss to Texas Tech. 
I still personally think watching them, despite the loss, and I know Texas fans maybe disagree because they're upset about the loss, I still think this team is better than it was last year. Do you think there's a reason to be concerned or panicked in Austin after that loss to Tech? Do, do you think that, okay, let's put it this way. Do you think that what freaks people out is not so much that Texas has a lower ceiling than they thought, but that maybe Texas has a lower floor than they thought? That could be it. I, you know I think. I mean? like, think the you, thing when is, you that lose a game out, like that. Does it scare you that? Oh wow! We, what if we're like six and six this year? Not, not so much that. I think the thing is that scared people is that the way they lost is kind of similar to the way they lost a lot of the games last year. When they lost to Oklahoma, they lost to Oklahoma State, they lost to Baylor. It was double digit leads. Yeah, they had a fourteen point lead in this game and a chance really to put it away kind of in the third quarter. If they don't get stopped on fourth and two of the 32, and they go in and score and make it a three-score game middle third quarter, that game is probably almost out of reach for Texas Tech, and, and Texas goes away with a win. And and that is how they lost so many games in their losing streak last year, and I think that is what probably sets off the most alarm for Texas fans. But I still look at that team, and I, I they, they lost Quinn. Hudson's limping around. They lost Xavier Worthy in that game. I think he'll be back, according to what Sark said on Monday. Uh, they were out more Ojimo. They are beat up at a bunch of... They had, didn't have DeMar even overshown for a half. Mm-hmm. They are beat up in a lot of key spots. So I, I haven't I haven't been one to hit the panic button on them just yet, but I understand why people are concerned about them. Did, did you see the uh, Bill Connolly advanced box score for that game, by the way? No, I didn't. Okay, so according to... Uh, you know, according to his system, uh, Texas uh, should have won that game by 16 points. Wow. And uh, Texas Tech uh, should have only had a 2% chance of winning the game. Wow. So, and, and like you could say, so it's like in terms of outlier games this year, it's a, as extreme as it gets, basically. Uh, but that's that's the problem with Texas football sometimes is you – you you get in that situation and you're right. They did it a bunch of times last year where you you build a lead and find a way to lose it. The the win percentage when you're for Texas Tech when you're down thirty one seventeen in the middle of third quarter and Texas Texas has the ball on your side of the field. What, what did Texas put to... seventy on Tech last year? Something like that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, it could pull away pretty bad. Yeah, and then obviously a different staff, you know, and everything for sure. Texas, but. But, yeah, I understand where it, that, that makes this West Virginia game for them a must-win this week because then they got Red River uh, right after like that. Like, two so. and four is possible for Texas. Yeah. If you, if you lose don't. this week, two and four is, is a real possibility. Oh, two and, two and four is probably happening if you lose yeah. this week. But, but I, that's, that, like I said, that puts so much emphasis, I think, on this game because it's one of those things where I, I think you start losing people's faith if you don't bounce back from this one really quickly. So... Well, and this is, as Joe McGuire said in his post case, but you know, he he told his team Texas would break. This is where you, uh, you know, when you when you play like West Virginia's got the advantage this week, um, they can uh, play like they got nothing to lose and just let it rip because the, all the pressure's mm-hmm. on Texas. Yeah, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But they were very aggressive on fourth down and they were letting it rip a hundred percent. Yeah, it's so. it's going to be a fun week to see in this first full week of uh, of league play. You know, you've got seven of the ten teams receiving AP votes. No one has a losing record. Um, there's going to be some separation here uh, pretty quickly. I think all the lines are within ten points, so there's not one team totally overmatched this week. Uh, it's going to be pretty interesting to see, um, and I think it's also probably just a reflection of 
And we talked about that with Joey McGuire, but like, I think there's probably 10 really good coaches in the Big 12. No, I agree. I, I thought the offseason hires, definitely at TCU and Tech, were, were good fits. I thought, I thought they yeah. were they were pretty solid. And uh, obviously we were very, I think both of us were very high last year when Kansas brought in Lance Leipold. Uh, and, yep. and clearly, what he's done is, has done a good job. But no, I think it. I think it is, and I know West Virginia fans are maybe not enamored with Neil Brown. But like I said, that team plays hard, and the 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 way the season has started for them has certainly been frustrating. But I do think, I do think there's still some potential there. They they it would help them a lot, obviously, if they went and got an upset win this weekend. But I do think there's, I think do think there's a lot of good coaches in this conference. When, when you look at the SP plus uh, rankings this week. There are, uh, I believe, let's see. There are eight Big 12 programs in the top 40. And there are three future Big 12 programs in the top 40. Like, it's going to be nuts next year. Yeah, that's the, and I thought about that this weekend is as we talk about trying to figure out who's the best and who's not, who's the worst, and how difficult that is, it's only going to get more difficult when BYU and UCF and Houston and Cincinnati join. Because those are all programs that are all ambitious. They have had track records of success. They have most of them have had stable coaching situations. Obviously, UCF is a little bit early in the Gus Malzahn era, but mm-hmm. but the you know Fickle's been there for a while at Cincinnati. Sataki's been at BYU for a while. Dana's been at Houston for you know four. This is fourth year now. Uh, th- these are programs with I think good foundations, and it's only going to muddy the picture in the middle of the conference. And and I think it's certainly one or two of those teams is going to have a chance to make noise pretty early uh, in, in the league, whether it's Cincinnati, whether it's BYU, it'd be interesting to see, but, but they're going to, they're going to be able to go toe to toe. And it, it is going to be, <laughs> people talk about how deep it is now. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens when those four teams come in. Yeah. And then, and then do they beat each other up so much that it's hard to get multiple teams into a 12 team playoff? You know, if the records are, <laughs> yeah, well, well, that, that part will be now, obviously Texas know you will move out and that'll be a different story, but um, yeah, it's going to be, I, I'm, I'm still keeping an eye on those four and just sort of seeing the, the steps they're taking this year. And uh, it's going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be so interesting when the schedules come out because it, you know, you end the round Robin and there's just going to be some people that have that end up with good schedules and some people that don't too. Next next year is going to be, uh, assuming that Texas and OU go in twenty twenty four. Yeah, next year is going to be the one year we get fourteen teams in this, and it is going to be wild because you know I talked to Greg Sankey a couple weeks ago, and he pretty much said, yeah, it's it's not happening in twenty twenty three. You know, we've already got schedule set. Obviously, the SEC schedule already set. I mean, it's not impossible, but the later we get in the year, the harder it's going to be for that to happen in 2023. So it, it seems like it's 2024 at the earliest. So next year you're going to have Texas and Oklahoma in this league with all of these other new teams. And then the current setup that we have where we, like you said, you had a lot of good coaches in the current conference. Boy, it is going to be bananas when we get into a 14 team. Oh, and year. you know, Texas and you are just going to get the absolute worst schedules. It's going to be hilarious. <laughs> They're going to be going it's on going the road. It's going to be everywhere. so petty. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna. I'm curious to see if they send Texas to Houston to play U of H in in Houston. They should send them both to Provo for ten ten o'clock games. You know, <laughs> it's. I'm curious to see if the pettiness actually plays out in the schedule. Yeah, I, I imagine there's a decent chance of that. Now we've got uh, a really really big time game. Um, one of one of a few in the top 25 matchups this week uh, in college football. 
We got Oklahoma State Baylor. It's the rematch. Uh, they played twice last year. Uh, Oklahoma State won in Stillwater 24 14 uh, in the season. Then they met again in Arlington, and we all remember how that ended. Uh, Baylor uh, gets the goal line stand within inches and uh, gets the 21 16 win over the Pokes. They both go out and, and win their New Year's Six games. Um, you know, I, I think. It's going to be I, – do you feel like it's going to be pretty similar to those two games this week, Sam? Do you think it's kind of that 24-21, 21-17 of, kind of game? I don't, I don't know that these two teams have, have changed that much in that time. I, I do. I think it's potentially could be a little higher scoring because both of these teams have lost some key pieces defensively. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Oklahoma State had to make a coordinator change, but, you know, they lost, you know, those backers, Malcolm Rodriguez and – uh, you know, some of the veterans in the secondary and, and guys like that. And Baylor's, you know, they're still adjusting without Terrell Bernard, Jalen Petrie, and their guys in the secondary. So, you know, you could see, as guys have grown into some of these roles, I think you could see a few more points scored in this one. But, yeah, I think overall it's going to be a physical, close, tough game. Uh, I think these teams are stylistically, in terms of how they try to win, it's going to be fairly similar. So I do think it's going to be an interesting uh, close battle, kind of like it has been. And road game, obviously, for Oklahoma State. Uh, going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. One thing I wanted to bring up, actually, when you brought up the Big 12 championship and how that ended, it reminded me of, you remember Dave Aranda being real stoic, like right as soon as that tackle was made, mm-hmm. uh, when Jerry McVay made the tackle, and he's just like, he didn't even like move. He's got his arms crossed, and he's not moving well. Apparently, Dave Rand is not like that on the sideline all the time. Did you see the butt slaps this weekend? I saw the butt slap. Who was that? Guy? <laughs> after, after, that I think they were strength coaches, I believe. Somebody asked Aranda. I think Dave Smoke asked Aranda. No, I mean, about the guy who was doing the spanking, was, that was Dave Aranda? It was Dave Aranda. It was Dave Aranda. Oh, are you sure that was Dave Aranda? Damn, 100% it was Dave Aranda. He, and so I know it's Dave Aranda because of this. So. He was asked about it. Smokey asked him about it on, I think it was Monday. And he said, that part of me has to die now. Dave said that part of me has to die because I guess he didn't expect, I guess he maybe didn't expect the camera to catch him. And so, and we all know Dave Rand, a stoic guy. And now Dave Rand is lining up strength coaches and spanking them on the rear about as hard as, as humanly possible. So, uh, Dave, so he's, Mr. He's, Zen, he's, Mr. He's bothered that people saw it and now he can't do that ever again? Is that what you're saying? It's not that he's bothered. I think it's just it I think it messes up his like Zen persona a little bit. And so <laughs> it doesn't uh, align with the brand that we're building here. Yeah. It does not align with the Dave Aranda brand for sure. Uh and, and I haven't hung with him. I, I hung with him a little bit before the season started when I went up to Waco on a trip. And he's actually he is actually a pretty funny guy. He's not as just plain Jane as as he comes across uh all the time. Like he's very thoughtful, but he he'll crack some jokes, man. And so uh, I, I enjoyed that part. I, I hope we do see more of that this season. It reminded me, I don't know if you remember when Cliff Kingsbury was at A&M and Johnny Manziel won the Heisman, but when they beat Mississippi State and Johnny ran for a touchdown, mm-hmm. Cliff gave Kevin Sullivan a real, like, very forceful slap on the end after a Johnny touchdown. So I am a sucker for the enthusiastic uh, celebratory butt slaps on the sideline. But Man, this I, is I a, love the this direction is be this podcast game. is going in today. We're really, I love it. <laughs> Toy Story and butt slaps. That's right. Uh, uh, but what do you think? What do you think about these two, uh, Baylor and Oklahoma State? It, I, I think it, it's it's two and a half. 
Uh, Baylor's two and a half point favorite, which I think is probably about. It's it's basically a pick 'em with with a little bit of the home field advantage for Baylor. But what are your thoughts on on Pokes and the Bears? Yeah, I think it comes down to Spencer Sanders, and that's what it came down to last year in Arlington. Um, you know, in his two games against the Bears last season, uh, he had seven interceptions, I believe. Um, you know, this offense at Oklahoma State is is more built around him than last year's was because they were able to, you know, really lean on Jalen Warren, who's who's now playing in the you know uh, with the Steelers in the NFL. Um, they were able to. They had Tay Martin. They had guys they could really depend on uh, to make his job easier. And, and this offense is uh, is is a lot more built around Spencer Sanders being um, being the dude that makes the plays. And so it'll be interesting to see. You know, I, I thought one of the keys last weekend was that uh, you know I think Baylor was able to you know challenge Hunter Deckers in a way he hadn't been so far. And um, or or yeah, I mean obviously Iowa did too, but I, I think they were able to you know disrupt him a little bit more, and, and part of that's just the strength up front and the ability to really stop the run, which you saw against Iowa State. Um, I, so I think like I I, I think Baylor's probably going to have a lot for for Spencer Sanders. They did last year, obviously, and and especially in that that Big Twelve title game, and so it's it, it's on him to some degree. Not not to say it's all on him, but I mean I think he's going to be the guy that decides how this game goes if he's out there. And he is um, taking care of the football, and he's leading productive drives. Um, I, I, I think that Oklahoma State's in great shape. Uh, what I think we have to do is, I think we got to make the pizza bet today, Sam. We have are we one more episode pizza today? We're, we have one more episode before Red River, uh, but I think we need to we need to place a wager here because somebody has to lose and somebody has to eat pickle pizza at the state fair after you and I cover uh, Red River next weekend. So, so what do you think? You so, we're going to do this game, Oklahoma State Baylor. You want to take Baylor to cover the two and a half? If if you had asked me this a week ago, I would have run away from it because I wasn't sure about Baylor's offense. But then when I saw them against Iowa State, Blake Shapin definitely seemed a lot more comfortable. The running game started going. Uh, they looked because against BYU, I was nervous. Like after yeah. I saw that, I was like, "Yeesh!" I was like, "I'm I'm not sure if Baylor's going to be a Big Twelve title contender." And then I see them go on the road in Ames and do what they did. And I'm like, okay, that looks like the Baylor offense I saw a year ago. And so I do feel a lot more comfortable. I think they're get, starting to get a rhythm. The backs are starting to come around. you got Richard Reese, the freshman, Richard really, Reese really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Squirrel Williams is, is doing well. They had Tay Williams have been banged up, but but when he's back, it's, you know, that that's, that's another option there. I, I'll take, I'll take Baylor in the two and a half. Uh, I'll, I'll like give you it. the, I'll give you the, I'll give you the two and a half. And say, yeah, Baylor winning this game by a field goal, I can see it. So, Baylor, mm. Dave Miranda, please save me from having to eat pickle pizza at the State Fair. All right. I'm, I'm going to take Oklahoma State plus two and a half. I like that. And, uh, I, you know, pickle pizza won't be that bad. I, I, I can... I can I can take an L. I've been taking a lot of L's on, on Run Your Pool, and so I'm I'm just sort of bracing <laughs> for the real possibility here of, of eating some pickled pizza. But yeah, I'll take Oklahoma State plus two and a half, and uh, I think it's gonna be a great game. Might not be a super high scoring game, but I think it's gonna be pretty, uh, uh, especially with those coaches. It's a, it's always a pretty good chess match. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. You got one guy with a defensive background with Aranda, and you got one guy with an offensive background at Gundy. But both of them, I think, have evolved as coaches. Obviously, Gundy's had a lot more longer to do this, but Aranda, in his short time, has evolved as a coach. And so I think it's going to be fascinating. I'll be there. I'll make the trip to Waco this weekend, so I'll be nice. front and center McLean McLean Stadium to see it. So uh, big key game in the Big 12 race. Uh, 
somebody somebody will come out with a big leg up in conference play coming out of this one. Yeah, and a big chance for Oklahoma State, who you know, who's in the top ten right now, to 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 really show people they're the real deal. So uh, this I'm excited for. All right, now before we get into our interview with Texas Tech coach Joe McGuire, Sam, let's talk about the piece that you put up uh, today, Wednesday, on the Athletic uh, about. Texas Tech's strategy against Texas, uh, really, as I said, in a game that, that should have gone Texas's way by, by a lot of measures, uh, Texas Tech is able to take that game to overtime and win um, in, in large part because they went six of eight on fourth downs and, uh, you know, were as bold as could be in that game in Lubbock. Uh, you wrote a great piece about it today. Uh, tell, tell the listener a little bit about what you learned on, on Tech's uh, approach that they took to, to steal that game. Max, you know me. I'm a big advocate of punting. I'm not not punting on the plus side. Uh, if you get fourth in five or less on on the other side of midfield and you punt, you make me sad. Dave Aranda made me sad in his first year as a head coach because in 2020 uh, they played Texas and he had a fourth and twelve at the thirty at the Texas thirty. And I granted fourth and twelve is a long way to go, but he punted and he punted from the plus thirty. I'm like, oh my gosh, Dave Aranda's one of these guys. And so uh, I, I asked Dave about that this summer, and he said, "Hey, I learned some embarrassing lessons, particularly that one where I should have probably kicked a field goal or I should have done something else." Mm-hmm. And then they brought in this company called Championship Analytics, which services a bunch of teams across the country. Uh, I think uh, Bill Connolly at ESPN said more than half the FBS teams use them. And they give you these game books. They give teams these customized game books. And so Joey McGuire obviously was on the Baylor staff last year, and he loved it. They they met weekly with one of the guys on the staff at, at Championship Analytics, and they would go every week. Here's what your fourth down decisions were last week. Here's how things are playing out across the country, even in the NFL. Here's some examples. And Joey loved it. And so Baylor became one of the better more aggressive Big 12 teams in the country last year. Jeff Grimes thought did a really good job managing play calling in those situations. They went 22 for 35. Baylor was excelled at it. So Joey made it a part of his program at Texas Tech, and they're they're going to be aggressive in fourth downs. Right now they lead the country in fourth down attempts, uh, and of course eight of those came. It's a small sample size, but this is the strategy they're going to use at Tech. And in a game like Texas where they're in an underdog, that's taken into account in some of the some of the books, the game books, which are customized every week. So they're underdog against Texas. They're going to be more aggressive. They went eight times, including, as you guys saw, fourth and three, uh, I believe it was, at midfield with 2.15 left in a tie ball game. Mm-hmm. As Rod Gilmore said on the broadcast, most coaches would kick it in this situation. So that is a uh, – that that's that's bold to go there. Because if you don't make it, Texas is getting the ball, and they can probably bleed the clock, bleed the clock, and win the game and kick a field goal and not leave you a chance. Texas Tech converts it, that goes go ahead field goal. Texas matches it, and then it'll go overtime. And of course, we know what happens after that, and Tech wins. But this is a strategy that team, more teams, and more coaches are employing and being open to, and I love it because it makes sense. It's it's rooted in data on the idea of the risk-reward versus going fourth down and, and, and punting. And to me, there there's always more incentive. When you're on the opposition side of the field, there's more incentive to go for it. And Joey and this Joey McGuire and his staff clearly bought into it. They're buying into it, and they're sticking with it because even when they fail, they failed once on their own side of the field, and they failed once on fourth and goal at the two 
in the fourth quarter down seven, and they still never wavered from the strategy. So uh, kudos to Texas Tech, kudos to Joey McGuire and his staff. They and, and like I said, kudos to Baylor, who's been one of these teams. Army's been one of these teams that's, that's adopted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were early adopter of it and have been one of the best fourth down teams in the country for several years now. Uh, Lane Kiffin has been on the on the uh, aggressive end of this as well. So, as someone who hates punts, I'm the anti Nicole Auerbach. She loves punts. I hate punts. I I could <laughs> not watch game. Iowa and and uh, South Dakota State. I, I, I can't emphasize enough how little I punted in the video game when I played it. You know, no, no. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is when I was a kid, when I played Madden, I tried to play the game quote unquote the right way. And then my uh. buddy, my best friend. My best friend was the one who always went for fourth down. I used to get mad about it. And then the older I got and the more I learned, and I started reading. I read a book called Scorecasting, which talks about some of a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. I learned about the date, and I'm like, no. Fourth and three on the 45, you should go. You should 100% go most of the time. There are some circumstances where you don't. but And now I am the video game player that, yes, although I don't play Madden very much anymore, but if I do, I am definitely going for it on those advantageous fourth and short situations. Well, and I, I enjoy following the, um, you know, there's, there's a few great accounts out there that do the, like the fourth down bot that kind of assesses, Hey, here's the percentages. If you go for it, um, you know, what, what, what is this going to do in terms of impacting whether you can win or lose this game? I, I, I love the, you know, the data and the analysis that's out there these days on this stuff, but I, you have to admire like, you don't get to like check that on Twitter real quick before you make the decision on the headset. You know I mean? <laughs> no. like you gotta. I, I just though it's so wild. Like, yeah, sometimes during a drive you can talk about it and say, "Hey, we got we got something for it." But um, a lot of times it is having to make a decision in in twenty seconds, thirty seconds, probably less. And me being a, a generally more indecisive guy, like I'm just amazed that they, you know, often have the onions to go do it. And then, and, and I saw this with Baylor against Iowa State too. The thing that so impressed me so much about the way Jeff Grimes does it, they've also got the plays for those situations too. Ba- Baylor's so good, short yardage, third down, fourth down, in terms of having play action and stuff like that, where they know someone's going to be wide open right in front of the quarterback. Um, so it's it's tough to if you go for it eight times, are, are you carrying? 10 different fourth down plays with you into a game? Probably not, you know? So it's uh, the, to, to pull off six is uh, is so impressive to me, especially for a guy uh, first year as a college head coach in Joe McGuire. So enjoyed the piece, and uh, we talked about it a lot more uh, with Joe McGuire. Uh, here he is uh, joining the podcast. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search the Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Now joining us on the podcast, Texas Tech head coach, Joey McGuire, friend of the pod. Joey, thank you for joining us, man. Oh, fired up to be two of my favorite guys, man. Fired up to be here. <laughs> let, me, let me start here. So you're three and one. You're recruiting your butts off over there. You got lots of fundraising and new facilities coming. You got the Matador Club Collective rolling. So I have to ask, 
Is, is it really this easy, Joey? Is being a Power 5 head coach really easy? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're, uh, things are going uh, you know, our way for sure, but it definitely can turn in a hurry. We just uh, just try to just go off the phone talking about, you know, y'all laugh at this, but being the pump jack, just trying to be the, the same guy every <laughs> single day, you know, and uh, – and, you know, the guys are buying in and, and the, the fans are buying in. And so uh, we're just uh, we're just trying to get get better. And like we were talking about, man, we got a tough game coming up against K-State. And so trying to get ready for those guys. When you all do power hour on the weekdays for recruiting, are you still are you still oh, yeah. pulling the pump jack? <laughs> you know, man, you know, I'm going to have a little juice around here, um, <laughs> you know. And so we're when we're doing power hour, we got to. I'm either running up and down the halls yelling and, um, you know, or, or getting out there with a pump jack or something like that, man. we got to have some juice around here. Well, I was going to say, even even the vibe in that building, like I imagine even after like NC State, I imagine there's not really a bad day in the building there for y'all. Now you get 24 hours. Um, you know, it was funny. I, uh, we got through with practice on Sunday and all the players were kind of looking at me. And, and I said, guys, 24 hours, is, it's not up. Said I'll be different. I'll be different when you see me tomorrow. But right now, I'm still really pissed off. So, you know, and yeah. not pissed off at him. You know, just I'm really pissed off at myself. And so uh, they they started laughing. So it kind of lightened the mood a little bit. But um, you know, we I always tell everybody. I, I wish I could remember who said this to me because it's been such an impact on my life. But you know, I always say, you know, you have bad moments, but you don't have bad days. You know, the people that have bad days allow those moments to linger longer than you know, what they're supposed to, you know. And so um, we just – we talk about having bad moments, but we're not going to have bad days here in Lubbock, Texas. For sure. Uh, you know, pretty good day on Saturday. What did it feel like to you inside the Jones to kind of have that moment when that place is packed and you guys pull off an upset? Well, you know, um, it was uh, it was incredible. Our, our fan base is just uh, – I mean, from day one since I got here, you know, just had my back and been behind me and – and, uh, you know, getting behind the team. Uh, I've Cody Campbell, <clears throat> uh, one of our, our regents, and every, everybody knows Cody. He's an offensive lineman here. And um, he said Friday night, because Danny Amendola spoke to the team Friday night, and uh, he, he and I walked back, you know, and they were, you know, as all the players were kind of talking to Danny, and he goes, I can't wait for tomorrow for you. And I was like, Kind of like, what do you mean? And he goes, you're fixed to see a different stadium. He said, when that place is packed, he said, it's unreal. And it's one of the hardest places to play. And, man, it was amazing. I mean, the fans were incredible. It was a it was a tropical day in, in Lubbock, Texas. I mean, um, I, and, man, they stayed and they were loud. And, and uh, it, it, was, it was really special. Did you have a good security escort at the end of the game? What was your situation? there when the, when the people are rushing yeah i have some uh, i have two texas rangers that are by my side so i feel pretty safe you know and they uh huff was right there with me but you know after i hugged a couple people man they they kind of grab a hold of my belt loop and help me uh get to where i need to go you know i i try to go straight to the opposing coach you know i've done that forever and got to shake sark's hand he was he was amazing you know he was he was really impressive. Uh, I don't know him very well, um, getting to know him, but he was so impressive before and after the game. And, um, you know, that that also meant a lot. 
Joey, one of the big keys to that win for you guys was the success on fourth down. You guys go six for eight. Uh, you end up uh, very aggressive down the stretch of that's fourth and two, fourth and three at the 50, you know, with just above two minutes left, you guys go for it. You wrote about it on the athletic.com about the strategy, kind of where you got it from. Tell me a little bit about employing the strategy in that game and, and how you kind of fell in love with this idea of being more aggressive on fourth down. Yeah, well, first, everybody needs to read your article, man. You did a great job. I mean, it's very well written, which you Appreciate always do. Appreciate that. I think, I <laughs> what think a really, plug. <laughs> I think, well, I, think it, I definitely think it it really describes. I think you went through and describing, you know, one number that I didn't know that I thought was really interesting is whenever you write about Baylor in 2021 to where uh, they only gave up 17 points um, off of their missed conversions, but because of their made conversions – that was an 86-point game. And so, you know, that's how we look at it. I mean, uh, I think Rob Rob Ash uh, meets with us every Thursday, and he does a really good job of explaining, uh, you know, the pros and cons, the, the advantages. Um, you know, and it's not this uh, kind of willy-nilly, hey, you know, roll the dice. I mean, it's very – it's talked through um, every possession of that game – uh, there is um, a magic number, and once you get a first down, there's a different magic number based on where you're at on the field. And, you know, we had a long discussion after the North Carolina State game because we had a fourth and eight. It was a weird situation at the third quarter, at the end of the third quarter, where we actually ran a play, and it would have been fourth and three, and then it wasn't a play, and so then it was third and eight, and we didn't get the first down off of that. But you know, there's like 14.56 left in that game, and uh, we didn't convert. And so, you know, a lot of different people – I mean, we went in a staff meeting on Sunday and just totally picked that whole decision in fourth quarter apart on um, did we do the right thing. And so it is a constant thing that we think about whenever we're going, when we're going through that and how we're managing the game. And that's well, something Jeff, I didn't really get to get into with, with that story, but I, that was one thing that fascinated me is that, okay, against NC State, you guys did go uh, for it. Yeah. And I heard your, your explanation was they had gone on an eight-minute drive in the third quarter. We only had one possession, so we weren't sure. We needed two possessions down 13. We weren't sure we another one. And I think the old-school thinking is coaches would say, man, we went for this. It didn't work. I might get a little more conservative the next week. But you guys are committed to this of going with this strategy. How, how did you get to the point where you're like, this is what we believe in. This is what we're going to do. You know, I think a lot of it had to go with uh, 20 and 21, um, you know, of, of seeing the philosophies and, and uh, you know, I, I didn't get to end the season with Baylor. I was already here at tech, but, you know, going through the, the games and the explanations and then turning around I think one thing that, that's really helped for, for us is when Rob meets with us on Thursday, we go through the entire nation's um, situations of like what that are really critical fourth downs of, you know, who could have gone for it, um, who didn't. And it's more than fourth downs. It's also like, you know, two, two point conversions if you're down by 14, you know, and, and stuff like that. And so um, I think, us seeing uh, the good and bad helps you adopt a philosophy. The biggest thing, 
as we all know, if, if you don't sell out to one way or the other, you really don't have a philosophy. You're just kind of guessing and pulling. And, and when you do that, numbers say that you're, it's not going to work. Now it's just the roll of the dice, you know? And, and so uh, we definitely um, had a philosophy going into that game, uh, playing Texas. Uh, it, we were probably more aggressive um, than, than what we would have been at different times at different games. Uh, and then once we went in it, I think it's one of those deals. <clears throat> once you decide to go that way, you got to stick with it. Well, Joey, it's easy for people to forget uh, being a position coach at Baylor for all those years. It's been a while since you held those dice in your hands, right? I mean, how fun yeah. is that? Yeah. Um, how fun is that to have? I, I don't know how you and, and Zach kind of manage that on the headset and stuff, but what has that been like this year to kind of have that have that say again on what are we doing? Oh, man, it's a dream come true. You know, uh, we were really aggressive at Cedar Hill. I mean, we got our butts kicked, but I don't know if everybody remembers 2016 on ESPN, we rolled the dice, faked a punt on our 25 and housed it for 75 to go up against Bishop Gorman. And so um, I've always been really aggressive whenever it comes to that stuff. Uh, I think it's probably a belief in my coordinators and my players. Um, But it's one of those deals. I thought Sam really painted a really good picture because – it's constantly being talked about. Um, there was a point in the game uh, that Coach DeRuder was down talking to the defense, and um, it was third and ten, and I we were in field goal range, and I uh, I said DeRuder, where are you at? And he said, I'm on it. I said, well, meet me halfway. And we met halfway and grabbed Kenny and Coach Perry, my special teams coordinator, and, and talked through the scenario um, as Kitley's getting the offense ready to go. And so Kitley gets more of, hey, it's a go. Hey, you hit the magic number. Hey, he doesn't get a lot of the, hey, are we going to go for it or anything like that? You know, uh, we talked about that. We did it in the spring. We did it in the spring game. Uh, we did it through all, all throughout the fall. All of our scrimmages were all done, uh, him calling the, the plays like that. And so uh, have a good idea of how that operates. Now, I want to give credit to a, a, another moment in that game that was big. Um, you, you guys go to overtime, and, and you know, you've been in that position against Texas a couple of years ago. The moment when Krishan Merriweather goes and gets the strip against the best running back in the country, and, and you guys go and get it as opposed to kind of sitting back and, and uh, you know, trying to go score for score. It felt like that said a lot about your team. Well, I'll tell you a cool moment about that besides him doing that. So the night before I met with my captains, and he's one of them, and we have a leadership committee. And so I'm talking to Donnie, uh, Donovan Smith, and, and uh, you know, talking about Kosai Eldridge and Krishan and Caleb Rogers, and they're all in there. And I didn't say it to the team because, you know, we have some young guys that are in some critical situations. So I didn't want to feel like they had more pressure on them than what just playing in Texas was. But I told our players, I said, man, it's time for y'all to go to win, win a game. Like, it's time for y'all to go win a game. And I said, I ended it with big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games. First guy in the locker room, chest bumps me, is Krishan Merriweather. And he looks me in the eye and he goes, big-time players make big-time plays in big-time <laughs> games. And I was like, I mean, I, I had chills. You know, it was just yeah. like, all right, here we go. Like, they're, they're getting it. And uh, so that was a really cool moment. Now, you guys ran 100 plays in this game. Texas only ran 60. I know Kitley has a background in tempo 
And you and I talked about it that 23 of those plays were, were after fourth down conversions. But is this kind of the blueprint of what you want of, of running a lot of plays and wearing teams down with what you guys do offensively? Well, you know, I definitely uh, – I mean, we want to win the explosive battle. So, Kitley will be the first one to tell you we're, we're probably not as explosive, explosive as what we want to be, but we're going to get there. Um, you know – when I came here, the one thing I talked about was playing complimentary football. And, um, man, when you can take 100 snaps on offense and only take 60 snaps on defense, I mean, I don't know any defensive coordinator in the country that wouldn't say, hey, give me 60 snaps every week and we can find a way to play good defense. I mean, that, that usually is, is good for T- – Teams team. have to be undefeated if it's 100 to 60, right? Yeah, no doubt, man. I mean, so <laughs> – so that helps a lot because it's uh, it's keeping us fresh on defense. I mean, we came out in the very first drive. We had a 17-play drive, you know, and, and um, I think Zach is doing a really good job of maximizing our guys' talents and, you know, who we are and what we can do. And, uh, and so I think that's a big part of why we were successful on Saturday. Joey, kind of a big que- big picture question for you here. You know, we're seeing some of these staffs that are in year one, like Oklahoma or Miami or Florida, kind of go through ups and downs early because, you know, as you know, it's it's really hard to be consistent at the level you want to be. How much are you guys feel like you, you're fighting that from week to week? And kind of what's that been like for you in year one as the head coach when you're kind of trying to push all the right buttons? Yeah, you know, it's uh, <clears throat> it's one of those deals that you know, we're going to face adversity. We- we faced it, you know, against North Carolina State. We faced it when we lost Tyler, you know, and how our guys responded to that. Um, and we're going to face it. I mean, the, the Big 12, find a find a conference in the country from one to ten um, that is stronger. I mean, I, you can't. I mean, you can't. It's not even close. It's it's uh, it's not even comparable what this conference. Um, I mean, I, I know that there's some powerhouse teams in other conferences, but there's not conference play like this. And so there's going to be some ups and downs in, you know, how we handle them. The one, the one thing that I'm really proud about our team that I didn't see in the spring that was a big emphasis was the what's next mentality, you know, and different people have different words, different phrases. You know, last year with Coach Aranda, it's keep pounding, you know, no matter what happens, just uh, – Keep at it. I thought he did a great job with that. Um, you know, everybody's got that. It's the buy-in that helps you get ride the highs and lows. And um, our guys are starting to be more and more buy-in to what's next. You know, good play, get to the next play. Bad play, get to the next play. You know, uh, same thing in everything. You know, uh, I didn't do well on a quiz, all right? I got to study harder and get to the next quiz. I mean, just – Having that mentality is what we're trying to grow around here, and that helps you handle the highs and lows because they're coming. You know, we've had them, and and they're coming. And so how do we respond? I think I go back to that punk jack mentality. If you're the same person every single day, then it helps the players handle the highs and lows too. One of those guys that I think has embodied that for your program and certainly this season is Donovan Smith, your quarterback. You mentioned losing Tyler. Obviously, unfortunate to to have that happen early in the year, but – He's a guy who had a few turnovers the previous two weeks and then turn around on Saturday against Texas and zero takes care of the ball, helps convert some really big fourth downs. How big has he been in his development over the last few weeks for this program? 
Well, I mean, this is a big statement, but I'm a, I believe it with all my heart. If the world was like Donovan Smith, what a world we'd live in. I mean, let, let's think about this. This guy won the Liberty Bowl last year and lost the starting job and the, did, had a phenomenal week, could have spent all week uh, feeling sorry for yourself and didn't. He goes out and, and Tyler gets hurt and he goes 14 for 16, something like that. And, and then, you know, the next week turns the ball over uh, against Houston, uh, but then scores the winning touchdown to, for us to win the game in overtime. And then the next week uh, turns the ball against North Carolina State. Again, could have come in the week, uh, you know, because we brought him in and said, look, man, we can't do this. I mean, something we got to help you. It's on us. We got to help you. And again, he could have felt sorry for himself, had a phenomenal week and goes out and helps us beat the University of Texas. So, man, I, I can't say enough about everything that's right about Donovan Smith is what should be right in this world. He's he's just a guy that um, believes in himself. He, his teammates believe in him and, you know, he has a lot of confidence, but it's a very humble confidence. He's always smiling. He has a lot of fun and Man, I'm just glad that he's on our team and he's one of my captains and, you know, goes and, and uh, represents Texas Tech at the highest level. You mentioned the, the difficulty of this conference from top to bottom. So you go from trying to stop Bijan Robinson and Xavier Worthy to, <laughs> hey, you get to go try to defend Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez. Uh, and then you have Oklahoma State after that. How, how challenging is it to prepare for, for Big 12 games in this season where it seems like, there's no easy outs. It's tough. You know, um, you got you to do a good job that um, you're, you're practicing smart, keeping your guys healthy. Um, they're taking care of their bodies. They're taking care of, you know, all the stuff they has, have as a student athlete. And But it's tough, man, because you're, you know, not only are you facing uh, talented football teams, but you're facing great coaches. You know, this, this conference is – uh, week after week, you're facing some of the best coaches in the nation. You know, Chris Kleiman, I mean, he's got a national championship under his belt, you know, and, and has come in. And I mean, you, you think about this. Only one other person's tried it, and it didn't work. But when you're following a guy like Bill Snyder, who probably turned around the worst football program in the history of college football, and that's who you're following, and – He's there every day, and you're playing in his stadium with his name on it. I mean, there's some big shoes to fill, and, and Chris has, has filled them and, and uh, just continues to grow that program. I mean, I think it has a lot to do with him. I definitely think it has a lot to do with their AD, uh, Gene Taylor. But, man, you're facing guys like that every single week, and so you better be ready to go. Absolutely. Well, best of luck to you this week and going forward here. Joey McGuire, thank you so much for, for joining the show. It's always a treat to see you, man. All right. It's great seeing you guys. All right. Thanks again to Joey McGuire for hopping on the pod here on a, on a Wednesday morning in week. And, uh, and man, that guy is pretty good at plugging your work, Sam. I Dude, I love it. I love it. That's, uh, that is advertising you cannot buy. Uh, so I appreciate right. Joey McGuire for that. One thing that I – to. I've never noticed a Joey M in the comments on the Athletic. I wonder if he ever. <laughs> I wonder if he's ever doing that. I now you know now that you say that I'm going to start looking for that. I'm going to look for it now. <laughs> I'm going to look for Joey yeah. M in the comments. Oh man, some, some account named Joey Burner. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
You know, he does, though. He really does read it uh, because when I got hired at The Athletic, I remember he texted me one time asking about a story that Jason Kersey, our, our departed friend who now is uh, at law school. Hope you're listening, Jason. He's not dead. He's, yeah. He just yeah, departed. That's right. Departed. <laughs> that's right. I realized how that... I, I, had to, I had to ask at the law school thing because I realized how that sounded. Um, I hope you're listening, yeah. listen, Jason. We miss you. But he, Joey texted me, I think it was not very long, a few months after I got the job, and he said, hey... I saw a story that somebody wrote, and I can't even remember the subject. I'll have to go back and find it. But he he described what the story was about, and then I went and searched it, and I saw it was Jason Kersey's. And I texted Jason. I said, what is it? was it about takeaways? I think I it was about takeaways. Yeah, I think it was about yeah. turnovers and mentality yeah. and how to build uh, the mentality and turnovers and how people coach it. And so, he, yeah, he definitely reads He definitely reads uh, The Athletic. And so I, I, I that, that's when I really knew for, for real because he's like, hey, it was a story from like two years before. And yeah, he was like, right. can you, and I'd send it to him. He's like, this is it. And Jason was like super, he th- he was like in awe. Cause he's like, wow, this guy remembers my story from like two years ago. So, uh, so we appreciate that joy. But one thing I wanted to point out that we didn't really get to very much in that was that for coaches to buy into this, especially guys who have been in it a long time, all these decisions and stuff that like CAI does, it's very rooted in data and in analytics and, you know, things, mm. a lot of math that, you know, a lot of head coaches maybe are not really well versed in, and it can be a little intimidating. So the one thing that's fascinating to me about them, and they, they, the system is color-coded, so you get the book, and it's green for go, yellow for field goal, red for punt, and it's pretty simple. And so you come in, Kirby Ennis, who's their grad assistant, has the book, and when he gets on the headset, and I wrote about this in a story, when he gets on the headset, he's telling Zach Kittley, all right, magic number is two. And if the magic number is two, that means if you get to fourth and two, you're going for it on fourth and two. And then anytime you get a first down or you change the position on the field, then that number may change. And to me, it, it it's a good way to take really proven data and simplify it into a way that coaches can easily integrate it into their game planning because – one thing we know is that coaches like control and they don't like things that are uncertain. They want to minimize risk. So this kind of takes some of the guesswork out. It's just like, hey, here's what the optimal decision is for the situation, period, in a very easy-to-read system that you know some anybody that even doesn't really know a lot of math could do. Well, and it's, it's important to point out, too, that this, I'm, I'm glad this is where it's going, but this is Texas Tech didn't just do that. Because they they're like oh Texas Tech is more talented and we're in year one and we're not where we want to be and this is the only way we have to win is to just mess around and and try to you know pick up pick up plays off fourth downs here it, this is this is just kind of becoming more accepted common sense yeah no like I said the Army's one of the teams that does it like Ole Miss does it uh, we've got a lot of teams down here heck even I even saw on the sideline there was a guy with that book for on next to Stark at, at Texas on the sideline so Texas is mm. clearly using it. Uh, and they're, they're more than, like I said, more than half the teams, there's NFL teams that use it. So I, I'm glad that we're getting this way. And one thing I'm fascinated by is as this becomes more commonplace across the game, how does it change how you defend a third down? How does it change success rates on fourth down if more teams are used to it? Because one thing that certainly impacted that game on Saturday with Texas Tech was when they converted those fourth downs, Texas Tech ended up running 23 extra plays. So they ran 100 plays. 23 of them were after the fourth down conversion. That tires your defense out physically. It tires them out mentally. But as this become, if this becomes more commonplace across the country, does it become where 
defenses are ready for it more, and then do you see success rates go down because it's not such a novelty anymore? It's not as different from everyone else. That's that's what I'm curious to see as the years go on. Well, and it changes. I mean, it changes all the play calling decisions. I mean, if you're if you're looking at that third and eight, you know, maybe taking that twenty yard shot downfield is a bad play. Yeah, it's third third yeah. and eight is not an automatic pass down now. Third and eight. Third and eight, you could probably right. run a draw. If you get five, six yards, you're in a manageable fourth down situation. That's one thing that Joey said Grimes was amazing at it is sequencing play calling and mm-hmm. utilizing that third down. It opens up so many options on third down for you. Uh, and so like third and six becomes really third and four if you're on the right part of the field. So I love it. I love it. I'm glad people are open to it. Fewer I love punts. the complexity of it. Yeah, absolutely. Fewer punts, please. Fewer punts. Yeah, who who wants to watch Big Ten football? Okay, not for me. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's not that's not my deal. That's not my bag. It's that you live you, know, you Iowa, live in that Rutgers, country. You have to. I, put I respect up with it. it. I respect <laughs> that you're good at, at at something. I get that. Shout out to Iowa and Rutgers for for having the best punters in the game. I, I, <laughs> good for you. It's good to be good at something, but that's not what I want to watch. Yeah, that's it's uh, go for it. Let's go for it. Let's go for it on fourth down a lot more. And go for two. Let's go for two a little more often. You know, the NFL started using this kick rule back, pushing it back to the third to get incentivize teams to go for two more. I don't know how much it's impacted. I'll have to look at the numbers, but I'd like to see teams go for two a little bit more. Hey, speaking of risky decisions, let's talk about how we're doing on runyourpool.com. <laughs> uh, anyone who is following me and what I do, that's a risky move. I went 20 and 20 last week. It was a roller coaster. Uh, it, was, it started really well. Don't you hate those days when you start well, Sam, and then the night games just eat you up? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the killer because you're like, wow, I'm in the money. I mean, we're not putting real money on this, but mm-hmm. if you're in, if you're putting money on it and you've got a bunch of games, like, man, you're in the money, you're good, and then everything comes crashing down, and it's just such a buzzkill. Everything comes crashing down. So I went 20 and 20 in week four. I'm now 105 and 90, and that margin is shrinking. I'm tied for <laughs> 105th right now in our pool. Sam, you had another good week, 25 and 15. I, is that right? Yeah. 25 and 15? Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. <laughs> so you are 11. You are 111 and 84. It's a nice number. You're tied for 22nd. And you're now tied with my editor, Eric Single, for the season, which I believe makes you tied for the smartest uh, staffer on the athletic. You know, I, th- I, th- I felt like this was a theme last year when we had our pod with Jason, but. We kept saying I need to put money on this because I did really, really well, and I, I, I feel like we're going to start saying this again that I need to start putting money on this because this is the second straight year. My record is really, really good. Uh, we're only four weeks in. You're, you're just counting on your kids getting scholarships at this point. I know. You're not even trying to build the college fund with this betting. I know, and 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 where they are on the height tracker, mm, probably not a probably not a smart decision for me to rely upon <laughs> that. <laughs> You're thinking academic scholarship, maybe walk on mm-hmm. that kind of deal. Yeah, or we, we may we yeah. may have to go we may have to go the D two route, you know, something like that. I don't know. Does does U of H have some like full ride stuff for for alumni? Uh, maybe if you donate, I don't know. <laughs> I probably should. I probably should <laughs> donate some money and find out about that. Uh, yeah, I or you could just start betting. You yeah, know, you could start betting your picks. Yeah, that's that's Ari's plan. Ari Ari. Uh, all right, I think Ari, I think uh, Liv's college fund is going to be coming out of the bets. So, <laughs> and you know what? He never seems stressed out. So why not go no, that way? Yeah, no. Maybe we should all start living more like Ari. So, hey, one hundred one eleven eighty four. He can't knock that. So I got to make my picks for this 111. week. One eleven eighty four. But I do too. 
All right. Well, you're very good at that. I'm I'm less good at that. Um, have enjoyed I have enjoyed picking this against folks who listen to this podcast feed. So we appreciate y'all doing that, and hopefully uh, you're getting satisfaction. The hundred of you that are ahead of me getting <laughs> satisfaction in in being better picking college football games than me. I I hope that that brings you joy. It's not bringing me a lot of joy, right now, <laughs> but hey. That's okay. Um, fun, fun show. Thanks a lot, Sam, and, and thanks to everyone for listening. And uh, you know, certainly, if you have thoughts on the Toy Story uh, <laughs> franchise and you want to tweet us, I should mention I haven't watched Buzz Lightyear. Have you watched? Lightyear? No, I haven't watched it yet. So, okay, so maybe we'll have to figure that out where that goes in the tears here by watching that. But p- please tweet us your thoughts on on the, the Toy Story movies and how you'd rank them if if, uh, if you've made it this far. <laughs> <laughs> Now, please uh, make sure you follow the Andy Staples Show and Friends uh, podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to the Andy Staples Show on YouTube. Andy and Ari Wasserman regularly do their show live from there with special guest interviews. Uh, you can you can comment live. It's a great experience. And we have a ton of great shows on the podcast feed. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next week.